Hi, this is Bridget. We're reposting a few holiday episodes from previous years while we take a few weeks off for our own end-of-year observances and to take some time to rebalance and recover from the stresses and losses of 2020. We encourage you to follow us so that we can stay in touch at Giving Voice to Depression on Facebook, at Voice Depression on Twitter, and at Giving Voice to Depression Podcast on Instagram. Terry and I send our very best to you and yours this holiday season. Hello, and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We're your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Hi, Terry. Hello, Bridget. So when we started this podcast, one of the first people we talked to was Dr. Patrick Corrigan, and he is a leading researcher in how to reduce the stigma of mental illness. He was advising us on the most responsible and impactful way to structure these episodes. And I said, I understand how sharing our stories of lived experience will help other people, but how does airing our dirty laundry help us? And his reply, which I think of every time we write an episode, was, it's not all dirty. And it's not, right? Right. Gosh, when you fall down seven times and get up eight, that is a story of resilience. It's a story of uh, like the little understood or appreciated strength that it takes to get out of bed and to go through the motions of living. When your own brain is working overtime to convince you that there's no point in it, no point in you. Mm. Today's guest, Jordan, has taken off the mask. A lifetime of hiding his deep sadness only led to actions, including heavy drinking, that made his depression worse. When he committed to his recovery, he also committed to helping others find a way out of the darkest of life's pits, or in his case, closets and soccer fields. Here's Jordan giving his voice to depression. I remember like as a as a kid just being like overly sad and like not knowing what it was. I remember like when I was in middle school and high school going I played soccer. I remember going to like the soccer field and just crying and crying and crying and nobody was there. And I don't really know why I was crying or why I was sad, but I just like needed that. Um but I didn't know yeah, I didn't know why. I didn't know it was depression. I didn't know anything was wrong with me. I just knew that I was, I thought that I was different. I didn't think that other people were going through this. And I just wondered why I have to go through it. Jordan didn't even have a word for how he was feeling, but he believed he had to battle depression alone. He didn't talk about it with his mother. And I, and I grew up with just my mother. It was just like me and her. 
And she was very like sensitive and emotional too. So what I learned to do is when I was sad, hide it from her because I didn't want her to be sad too. He didn't share with his father. My, my dad was in my life, but not regularly. So it wasn't like I had that male figure who I could go to and say, hey, like what the hell is going on with me? And though he was popular, played soccer at a Division I school, and had a lot of friends, Jordan believed he had to hide his depression from his peers, too. Because when you're that age, you just want to be normal, right? And you're finding any way possible just to be a normal kid, to let somebody know that is just not an option. So I, I did feel like I, like I had to hide it. I, I mean, I saw it as like a weakness, and in my mind, you never expose your weaknesses to the world, so... Like I said, I, I was I was putting on like that mask of being the strong black man. So even if there was options, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna try them out. Instead, like many in pain, Jordan self medicated. Always was like an athlete, so I always was told to stay away from drugs and alcohol. So I did for a very long time um, until I think I was like about seventeen, and I was at a party and. I took my first like shot of alcohol and a lot of people in AA talk about this, but like their first drink being like a spiritual experience. And it was exactly like that for me. Like I can remember it. Um, it was like God came down and like just said to me, like put his arm around me and said, Hey, you're going to be all right now. Like this is your solution, right? Like all the anxiety and all that self-doubt and all that depression just kind of faded away. And then I didn't have to rely on anybody, right? You don't have to rely on anybody when you're drinking alcohol. All you got to rely on is your ability to make it to the store and have the money to purchase it. So like me learning from a young age not to rely on anybody else because that's a weakness, it was, it was perfect. It was like the perfect setup. Perfect, Jordan says, until it wasn't anymore. Um, until the alcohol turned on me. Um, and I ended up in AA and ended up in the hospital and ended up in the mental health complex, um, ended up in jail. Uh, that's when I, I finally realized that I not only have to treat my depression, but I also have to treat what turned into alcoholism. But no, I didn't, I didn't give in easy. It wasn't like I just came to... Um, it's not like I just ever said, I think I have depression, let me take this medication or go to therapy. That was never a thought that was an option for me. The options Jordan did utilize don't all make sense in his current sober, non-depressed world. So every time I would drink and I would be depressed, I'd turn off my cell phone. I didn't want anybody to know where I was or what I was doing or that I had relapsed or, you know, I, I just wanted to be solitary and along with my depression came severe 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 anxiety so i would hear somebody like open the door or knock on the door or ring the doorbell or somebody be um downstairs you know just normal noise that any person who's ever lived in a duplex hears and i would hide in closets a lot i mean that that's what i that's what i did it was it was crazy i'd be in my own house hiding in my own closet and I didn't, and I was so sick, like I thought that that was like, that was a viable solution, you know what I mean? 
It wouldn't be until Jordan was hospitalized after a suicide attempt that he was formally diagnosed with depression and put on medication to manage it. But... Your medication doesn't work when you're drinking along with it because mm-hmm. alcohol is a depressant. Um, does it work now after I stop drinking and I've been three years sober? Absolutely. Then I take it every day and I make sure I take it every day and I know that I need it. Um, but back then, even when I was taking it, I took it sporadically. And I think that's a problem with a lot of people, right? They think that they just can take it here and there or they have to, they can take it and still drink or just take it and still use drugs or take it and not go to therapy. So I was taking it sporadically, but I wasn't seeing the benefits of it. And then that was just an extra excuse for me to say, hey, this doesn't work anyways. Jordan existed like that until one fateful day when sitting in his place, which he says was dirty and dark because his electricity had been cut off, Jordan begged God to take him. I had done that a million times, so... After begging to die, I was like, okay, if you're not going to kill me, God, can you please, like, give me a solution or, or help me, help me out of this? Um, I don't know why my mom showed up. She, she often showed up to just, like, check on me, but she showed up. His mom brought him to the hospital for detox, and this time he was ready. And then that's when I made the decision to start taking AA super, super seriously, and that's kind of how I got sober, and that was like about three three years ago in a couple months, and ever since then I've been sober and then now able to manage my depression correctly. Congratulations. Yeah. That is not the end of Jordan's story. It's another beginning. In addition to what Jordan experienced and learned over those years, he also earned a master's degree in social work, which he puts to work daily as part of a county crisis mobile team. I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that if I got sober, I could, that could be like my greatest asset is like, because that's what you hear nowadays from, from anybody who's unwilling to go see somebody and willing to go get help is the person on the other side is not going to understand what I'm going through. And that's a perfectly legitimate concern because they probably don't know what you're going through because they probably haven't gone through it because if they have gone through it, they wouldn't be on the other side of the desk, right? They would have not made it that far because few, very few people do. Um, so I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that that could be my strength that, and it is my biggest strength that when I go to a scene now, or I go to meet with somebody who's suicidal or who's in their addiction, I can say, I have been right where you have been. And I think that that automatically makes a connection that can't be broken or develops a trust that there's, there otherwise wouldn't be. It's a really powerful shift when the things we considered our secret weaknesses or dirty laundry become keys to open the locked part of someone else's life and struggle. There's also something personally healing about providing something you needed but never received. Part of the reason why I was hiding in the closet is because I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to go to a hospital. I didn't want to go anywhere to get help. That was the last place I wanted to be because that exact reason I felt like people there were judging me and people there didn't understand. And hospitals, I mean, if you've ever been there with super bad anxiety or super bad depression, they're not very therapeutic places. I mean, I think that's something that we have to address 
as a nation, right? Like it's not a therapeutic place to be. Um, nurses are usually like burnt out. They have a million patients, doctors, the same thing. You've got a hundred different machines beeping. You know what I mean? It's just not a therapeutic place. And then the other thing is you're at the lowest state in your life and you just don't want people to see you like that, especially somebody who hasn't been in your shoes. Right. And I think like 95% of the people there probably haven't really been through what you've been through. So from a place of experience, we asked Jordan what someone listening might need to hear, acknowledging that it can be nearly impossible for a mind that's being poisoned by depression to take in a message of hope. Me and you are like living testament that your your life can take a complete 180. And when people were telling me that, I didn't believe that. Like the problem with people with depression and with alcoholism and addiction is they think that they're unique. And the the truth is that you're just like everybody else, right? Like in your head, you you want to make yourself out to be like a unique situation. Like I'm like this because my mom did this or my dad did this. Which could be true, but that doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't also been through it, right? And somebody also has gotten around it, right, and found a solution. So your solution might not be the same as their solution, but there is a solution out there, and there is a way to completely change your your life around. And I know that's... And, and I feel bad even saying that because I, I remember myself, and I'm, like, remembering myself in that closet. If somebody would have said that to me, I'd have been like, F- off. Like just leave me alone off like I don't believe you mm-hmm. because I can't believe where I'm at today in my life, you know, and it, when I say it's a complete 180, it is a complete 180. One of many ways Jordan's turnaround is tangible is that he now works in the very county mental health facility where he was once placed on emergency detention. And I remember that, and I remember one time they determined that I'm still like a threat to myself and I had to go up on one of the units. Um, and I remember the guy, the psychologist on the unit who talked to me every day. And I don't know if I'm sure he doesn't remember who I am, but I remember him and I pass him in the hallway all the time. And I say, hi. And like in the back of my head, I just like smile and think, cause he was really, he was nice to me. And you remember stuff like that. Jordan sees people at their absolute lowest at police scenes, in jails and hospitals. And he makes a point to really see them through knowing eyes. It's the kind of work that challenges the most caring heart. Jordan feels lucky to do it. I I just, I like it. I mean, I, I like being there for that person. And I like to be, I like when it comes off of, out of my mouth, I have been where you have been because I know how powerful that is. And I know a lot of these people have never heard of it, heard that statement. Um, and it's just such a powerful moment when you get to say that you kind of, you kind of see people's reaction and they, they kind of like, you ever like held your breath and then get to breathe again. Like that's like, that's the reaction. So that's why I say I get to do it. I mean, it's just, it's just a good feeling, right? So I went from a person on my floor with nobody around, hiding in my closet with a bunch of vodka bottles around, thinking about if I have enough bleach to kill myself, um, to a person who gets to get up every morning and help somebody, right? So yeah, I get, I get to do that. I don't, 
take for granted any moment, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get to do that for sure. I've come a long, long way and I'm grateful for that. Wow. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing with us all your most private and darkest moments. I know that your words will resonate with many people listening today. Not only will they know that they're not alone in their experience, but also that it's possible to turn their private secret hell inside out into something different, better, new. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. I love how he said, I have been where you have been, and he knows how powerful that is. And as you thank him, and we thank every guest that we've ever had, we're not just thanking them for trusting us with their stories and for sharing their stories, but literally for helping people who are listening, because even people who aren't reaching out are able to hear someone say, I have been where you have been, and today they're going to hear it from Jordan. But in just the last week, um, someone responded to Renee's episode, which was uh, insights from a trauma survivor. I can't remember the number, 119 maybe. And the woman wrote and said, I've never dealt with my trauma, and that hearing Renee's story had, I don't know if it's motivated or inspired or both, her to find a friend who also is in that situation and sign up together for group therapy. And that could be the beginning of something real, or it could be the next step in in a longer journey. But either way, it's a positive step forward. And then another person wrote, after hearing uh, Ken's first episode, which was, if you see something, say something. And this woman was suicidal. She was literally uh, preparing her goodbye to her family. Excuse me. And she was interrupted and listened to that episode and said that her heart fills with gratitude when she listens to them. And by the time we finished our exchange this weekend, she was signing her notes with big kisses and exclamation points, those words, big kisses. And I just thought, anything, anything can shift someone out of that. And I'm just... I don't overwhelmed um, and so honored to be part of putting these stories out into the world so that somebody can be redirected from their darkest place. So today my thanks goes to Jordan, but our thanks also go to every other person who has shared their story in private, in public, and on this podcast. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.